Books can take us around the world. They can take us to the intimate spaces of human experiences, and they can help us grow through their words. Stay tuned for People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. Good morning, and I am Janice Leibovitz, and you are People of the Book. Yes, that's correct. You are not mistaken. Brand new People of the Book show, and as I said, you are our People of the Book. So, I'm sure you want to know who I am, what I'm doing here, and how I have come to be on your airwaves. Just a little bit of background. I have always, always loved reading. Books are companions. Books can be your friends. Books can take you places, as you just heard. Books can take you on journeys. Books are the best way to give you knowledge. Um, I'm an only child. And when I was growing up, once I was done with my friends and my socializing, yeah, school was there somewhere in the, the mix, but books were always there. And when you're growing up and you're finding your identity and you're finding out who you are, books can help you do that. Books take you places when you are sitting in one place, whether it's in your room, whether it's wherever you are, and books did that for me. And I've always, always encouraged whoever I'm with to read. There's nothing like chatting to people about books, which I suppose is also one of the reasons I'm here, because, um, yes, I do like to talk. Um, people I know will tell you that. But I do love to talk about books. And I love to share with people the books that I've loved. I love to talk about the books that I've enjoyed. And I don't know if many of you have felt the feeling when you see someone who's sitting somewhere with a book, you're just itching to know what book it is. And I always feel like that. And I have often, to the embarrassment of my children, if they are with me, gone up to people and actually asked to see what book it is if I can't see the title without actually asking them. So that's one of the reasons why I'm here. So what are we going to do on this book show? We want to engage with you. This is your book show. As I said, you are the people of the book. It's not just me sitting here behind a microphone talking about books getting authors in, talking to them about their books, and me reviewing books. We want to engage with you. We want to get you involved. And I'm sure you've heard over the past few weeks that we've asked you to be involved in a book club. And there are so many books that come out every week, in fact, that we're not even aware of because there are just so many. And thank goodness we're all wired very differently and we all have different tastes, and there are a huge amount of genres of books, some that we don't even know about. And we would like to cover many, many more genres than we have been. And when we come back from the ad break, we're going to chat a bit about that. I love it when you this is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. And we are back. So as I was saying, 
um, different genres of books that we would love to cover on this show with your involvement because you are the people of the book. Um, we'd like to talk about things like Jewish books, um, sports, which we South Africans do love, politics, which are published hugely in South Africa. There's a huge, huge interest in political books in our country. Um, we're not sick of it quite yet, apparently. Um, fiction, literary fiction, all areas of fiction, children's books, young adults' books, which are not only for young adults, they are widely read by adults as well. We'll also be doing giveaways, and obviously we would love you to get involved with those. So please, please do email me on books at highfm.com because we would love you to be involved with our book club. How it will work is when we get books in, I will email out to the book club letting you know what's available. You'll come and collect the book. You can review it on air. If you like, I would love you to come into the studio and be involved, review the book on air. If you prefer not to do that, you can send me the review and we'll read it out. There will also be opportunities to interview local authors if you would like to do that. If you have read their book and would like to interview them and they're available, you'll be able to do that too. So please do get involved and email me. You can also take a look on our Facebook page, People of the Book, 101.9 Chai FM, to see all the other ways you can get involved. Um, speaking about books and new releases, big news this week has been the new release of the much-anticipated Lucinda Riley Sun Sister book, the latest in the Seven Sisters series. And for those who don't know who or what that is, Lucinda Riley is a best-selling author who has released what I feel is an extremely ambitious project, it's a series of seven books. She's been releasing one every year, and this is now her sixth book called The Sun Sister. Um, South Africa actually got the book a few days before the UK, I think. We were extremely lucky. Um, the books are loosely based on and inspired by the Greek myth of the, the Pleiades, the seven daughters of Atlas and, and Peony. And this sixth book... Um, is about Electra. Those who've been reading the series know who she is. The books are about the daughters of an extremely wealthy man who adopted these girls when they were very young, and he has passed away quite mysteriously and has left them all clues as to how to search for their heritage. And they are fabulous historical novels all based in different areas of the world. And this one in particular is of great interest to us as it's actually based in Africa, in Kenya, quite specifically. And they are amazingly researched and detailed. The stories are beautiful. They're very involved. They're meticulous. They are, they are sweeping and they really are incredible stories and much enjoyed by all her readers. So that was huge news. It's published by Pan Macmillan in South Africa, and I know that everybody has rushed to buy a copy, so if you haven't yet done so, it is now available in stores. And the other big news was um, Heather Morris's Silka's Journey, which was the follow-up to The Tattooist of Auschwitz. Um, quite controversial, as... I know that quite people, people feel quite strongly 
um, about these novels as they feel that they are quite loosely based on fact and don't get all the facts quite right. In fact, the character that this this book in particular was based on, um, her name is Cecilia Kavachova, and in the book she's named Silke Klein. Her stepson has in fact completely distanced himself from the book, saying that he feels the facts have not portrayed his stepmother appropriately at all. Um, whereas Heather Morris and her publisher have been quite plain in stating that she is a novelist. She's not a historian. She does not publish historical, factual books. These are not non-fiction books. They are novels. They are not intended to represent the entire facts of Silka or Cecilia's life, and um, they they never purport to be that. Silka's journey, I know, also much anticipated. Monday is a big day for rugby fans. Um, Tendai Matawawira's story will be releasing. That's Beast, and that's going to be in stores and online on Monday. And, of course, um, tomorrow is a very big day for all rugby fans. And I think, actually, even if you're not a rugby fan, it's a huge day and a huge weekend for us in South Africa. So, yes, um, Beast will be releasing in stores on Monday. That's also via Pan Macmillan. And um, I think everyone's been waiting to read about Tendai's story and how he has come to be part of the Bok team and his rise to, to being part of our national rugby team. And everyone is very excited to read about that. After our next break, um, you're going to be hearing an interview that I was lucky to do earlier this week with a local author by the name of Stephen Boyke Sidley. And he's, his latest book, he's actually written five books. This is his latest book. It's named um, Leaving Word. Um, it's based in the States, as he does base most of his books there. And you'll be hearing the interview that I did with Boyke. He is a very amusing, tongue-in-cheek author. And the book that he's written has some very interesting themes in it. And... One of the themes, I'm, I'm interested to hear your engagement on it. Um, it's, a, it's a theme that I think, especially women of a certain age, I'm going to be quite gentle um, with how I, I describe that, um, are cast adrift. They reach a certain point in their lives. They've been successful in their careers. And in particular in this book, there's a character by the name of Joelle, she's 40 years old. She's had a highly successful career and she is retrenched and is cast adrift and feels that she is nowhere and nothing. How do women feel about that? Coming up after the break, you'll hear my interview with Boyke Sidley. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I am here with Stephen Boyke Sidley, and we are chatting about his brand new book, Leaving Word. Hi, Stephen, great to have you with us. Thank you very much. I need to tell you this is my fifth book and the fifth time I've come on this this 
program on Quite TV, people with the book. So it's tremendous to have the consistency and, and somebody new to talk to. Lovely to be here. And it's great to have you here as my very first guest. So are you more nervous than I am? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> you look very laid back and relaxed. I'm laid back. So, well, no one can see that. Well, I can, but very laid back and relaxed, and I don't feel as relaxed as you look. Okay. <laughs> but we're here to chat about... Your latest book, right. which you very bravely based in a publishing house and about authors, publishers, and around the written word. Yes. Um, that was a brave move. Did you feel brave? Did you? I, I was more <laughs> nervous about to, uh, talking through the voice of a woman than I was with setting a book or, uh, around the death in, in, in a publishing company. That was the one that I thought would get me a lot of flack. But so far, I've, I've escaped it. Okay, so let's jump in right there because that's something I picked up on. Um, yes, brave move, talking um, from a woman's perspective, and um, also a 40-year-old woman. Yes. And the, the one of the main themes that is actually in the book is that of her name's jo- Joelle? Did I pronounce yes, that Joel. correctly? Joelle, and Joelle is quite lost. She seems quite lost. She seems quite adrift. Um, am I correct in that? She is. So, so if I could just let me set the context of the book because there's a little bit of context that happens yes. through to the third page. And if you're going to go through the third page, I'm not going to spoil anything. No, no, no spoilers. And I know that that. You quite correctly, and at your book launch that yeah. I know most of the listeners probably weren't at, and that I took a very close friend to, and she loved your book launch. Yeah, thank you. Because you didn't actually talk about the book at all. Yes. So, so what I wanted to do is I tried on this thought experiment. I wanted to write a book in which there was a death of an important character at the beginning of the book, which is our all murder mystery start, and I wanted to play with the idea that maybe I never tell the reader how he died. And when I asked uh, Craig Higginson, who's a famous literary fiction author about this, he loved this. He thought this was a meta plot wherein the, the book would be about the characters dealing with the death rather than the reason for the death. But when I spoke to Craig Fremont, a movie director who understands what audiences need, he said I would get skinned alive. If you <laughs> kill somebody in the first few, few pages, you've got to let the reader know what happened to that person. If somebody dies, it's called Chekhov's gun. If there's a gun at the beginning, you've got to shoot it by the end. I slammed those two things together in the book, which I won't spoil. But at the beginning of the book, the CEO of a publishing company is found inexplicably dead at his desk. He has just fired his most senior and distinguished editor, Joel Jessen, who um, is 40 years old and single and has been a fabulous editor all her life. And the reason she's been fired is because nobody reads fiction anymore. And digital and small screens have taken over everything, which is another underlying theme. And she wants to know what the plot is. Why did he die? Was he killed? Did he commit suicide? Was he sick? Or did maybe in life, did he just die? And the plot of the book is around her obsession with finding out the plot of his death versus the possibility that maybe nobody ever finds out. The reason why I chose a 40-year-old woman is most of the editors in America where the book takes place are women. I I know many of them. Many of them are around those age groups. I have often been accused of writing in, in the voice of a particular sort of man, and I wanted to take a break from that and jump into the other gender. Which you did very ably and extremely well. Yeah. And you picked up on, on her voice and you picked up on, I think, the feeling of, of women of a certain age, if I may be so bold, um, very well. I think women in general 
and I'm a woman, so I can say this, are often not taken seriously because of who they are, what they are. They often function in careers and worlds where men are the big players. Yes. And Joelle feels this greatly. Yes. So she's the suddenly unemployed editor, and she had respect and was famous as an editor and nurtured books to Pulitzer Prize and, and Man Booker Prizes, and suddenly she finds herself without a job. She has put her career in front of her love life, so she's single and alone, and she's saying to herself, well, I've got to do two things now. I've got to find out why and how this boss who just fired me died, and I have to find a narrative for my own life. I'm 40 and single, and I've lost the thing that gave me a space in the world. And those two things run in parallel the book. So one part of the book is a mystery story about a death which does get resolved at the end. And the other one is a mystery story about a narrative of a 40-year-old woman suddenly in the world without guide rails. The sad thing for me was also, though, that despite all the obvious success that she had throughout her career, being set adrift like that, she suddenly feels like she's nothing. That's exactly right. In fact, the way that I put it, I don't know whether it was in the book or, or it was in a previous interview, is she suddenly finds that she has skills akin, akin to a person who used to do linotyping in the 1920s. Absolutely. Great skills which nobody has a need for anymore. Now, obviously, fiction has not disappeared, but fiction is, is, is under pressure, and it's under pressure because there are other technologies and media types that are clamoring for our eyeballs, and they are being very successful, particularly with the younger people. So people read fewer and fewer novels. And there she's been at the forefront of the novel writing world globally, and suddenly she is told that this is no longer important anymore. Thank you very much for your services. Yes, and, and you, are no, yeah, you yes. are no longer and you required. you are no longer important anymore. Thank you. Right. Goodbye. You are yes. the weakest link. There, there is a, a little something that the boss who of the publishing company who came from a digital company in a merger uh, is also, or was also, he's now dead, uh, very sexually attractive, and she was somewhat obsessed by him and hoping that they could get together. So there's this underlying theme in the book. She's a very sexual woman. She has a clamoring libido. She loves men. She loves sex. And that underlies also her forward journey about what to do about that itch that she always has. But also, and yeah, she doesn't know what to do with that. There's also the underlying relationship with family. Yes. Her relationship with her father, with her sister and her sister's family. Yes. Her sister who she is close to, who lives in the same city as her, who she has a close relationship with, not so much with the sister's husband who is quite distant. But I found that the sister's husband, who who is a film producer of sorts, and who's been working on some sort of project for quite some time, to me, he picked up what, for me, was the main theme of the book, which was people who've lost their way. That's right. Uh, her sister's husband, uh, whose name is Pete. Pete. Yes, I, I actually, yes, somebody Pete said, oh, in, a South African. Yeah, no, I actually thought of him as Dutch. I don't know why. But anyway, <laughs> his name is Pitt, and he's been working on an unspecified documentary, which he won't tell anybody about no. for 10 years. And our heroine, Joelle, thinks he's a faker and a sloth and thinks he goes into his back studio over there and, and, and either watches pornography or smokes dope or goes to sleep. When, in fact, he's been working on an absolutely critical project, which is revealed at the end of the book, about people who have 
been left behind in America, people who have been once something and have become nothing. And it turns out to be a powerful, profound, and chilling piece of work. And when Joelle sees it for the first time, she has to change her opinion of him, and she wants to join the project. And Absolutely. I and I love the fact that she was very forthcoming in admitting that she was wrong. Yes. She was quite mistaken. He wasn't doing in her dark things in the studios. He was creating him, yes. stuff. Yes. And she was openly willing to tell him that she was wrong yeah. and that his work was powerful and that he had shot scenes that she found moving and chilling. And she was quite taken aback by it all. And then she says, how can I help? Yes. Yeah. I, I love that. Absolutely love that. One of your other characters... Um, an absolutely messed up individual, um, to put it quite mildly and politely, is a guy by the name of Thron. 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 And he represents what I found to be every man. He's a guy who's just railing against society and corporates and corporations and he wants to succeed, but he's really a mess. And is that who he represents? He represents well, just... So, so Thron used to be named Tom. Yes. And Thron is a failure in life. He has a, a bad marriage. In fact, he's a violent man with his wife and his, his kids have fled. And he changes his name legally to Thron because he thinks it's more interesting than Tom. And he decides after trying to be a guitarist and a podcaster and a filmmaker and failing at all of them, he's going to be a great writer. The problem is... Not only is he an angry and irrational man, he has zero talent, and he's deluded about his, the fact that he has zero talent. And he writes this book, which is too terrible for words, and tries to sell his manuscript to every publishing company in America, including to Joe Wells' company. And he is the prime suspect for a person who may have committed violence in that publishing company that occurs on the first few days. He's not so much every man in that he's untalented, and every man is not untalented, but what he is in every man is he wants to be famous. And in America, everybody wants to be famous, whether they deserve it yeah. or not. And I get to play with that through his character throughout the whole length of the book. What struck me was, I mean, that the storyline that he came up with, I mean... Where did you come up with that? Well, you, just, you, know, you just let yourself go off at a that's complete right. He's a, terri he's a terrible writer with no idea of story, narrative, structure, character, and he comes up with this futuristic story. And because I was not bound by having to write a good book on his behalf, the book that he writes, it was just a whole lot of fun writing irrational, deluded, and weird stuff as the, as the content of his book, which, which I can't spoil what happens with that either because that's no. also a bit. <laughs> But that was, so I just wanted to mention that, that even though I wrote the book through the eyes of a woman, um, it's actually about men because it's about men through her eyes. And it's about the Thron character. It's about the Los Angeles police detective who she meets. Yes, Corelli. And she thinks that he wants to solve the death of, of, of the publisher. Meanwhile, what he's really trying to do is sell his manuscript to her and become a crime writer. Yes, I mean, Corelli had really no interest in the murder at all, which frustrated her yeah. immensely. He just wants his book published. He wants his book published, and he will go to any means possible. He And it frustrates her that he, he's not going after. That's and right. he tells her that, you know, sometimes people do just die. And she says to him, 
Why do you want to write a book? You're an LAPD detective, the most iconic job in the world. You are the subject of fiction for the last hundred years. Please stay an LAPD detective. It's much more interesting to me than being a writer. And he wants to be a writer. And I think he says something about, um, do you know how many cops have written books? Yes. There was, and in fact, this is based on a true story. There was a, an author who was an LAPD detective. In fact, I think he may have been a street cop, Joseph Wambach, who wrote a book in the early 70s. The name of it I can't remember, but he went on to write 17 books and actually burst that dam. And he was followed by many, many other policemen, authors who have written great crime novels. Yes, I think they, yeah. Yeah. They've got a lot of uh, material to work with. Yeah. And, and forensic pathologists, so there are many yes. women in that bag as well. Yes. Yes. That's true. Um, Talk to me about the sibling rivalry angle. Yes, so uh, the third lead male character, so there there is the Thron character who's who's untalented and deluded and angry, and there's the detective. But there is also the brother of the deceased who is not successful. The deceased is extraordinarily successful. His name is Buddy Rappaport. He's Jewish, and uh, he's the head of this big publishing company and charismatic and has lots of clamor from both women and men for their attention. And his brother is a very talented artist who has no personality to match. And so there is this sort of rivalry between them, even though they love each other dearly, the artist is jealous of his success, even though he tries to convince himself he's not. There are other siblings in the book. There is Joel's sister, who is a data science consultant. I'm peripherally enrolled in the world of data science, so I got to mouth off about what artificial intelligence (laughs) is all about. And she looks to her sister as a moral force in her life. And then there are niece and nephews and various other family members, all who contribute to this very busy and noisy space in her head surrounded by these powerful men and sister and nieces and nephews and trying to build a narrative for herself absolutely I mean that that sibling rivalry is I grew up without that I'm an only child but do you miss not not having had not at all not at all although I do tell my children you know it's such a privilege to have siblings when they are at each other's throats and I, I, through gritted teeth, tell them what a privilege it is to have siblings because I have none. Yeah, it, it they don't believe is. me. But, <laughs> but I, I need to mention something because we have a Jewish audience, listeners mainly. One of the key elements of the book is that Buddy Rappaport is Jewish. And when he dies, his parents are quite religious. They want to get him into the ground in 24 hours, as is our custom. And if you put somebody in the ground at 24 hours, you can't do a specialist autopsy. And what very often happens in America, if there's evidence of foul play, the coroner will insist that you can't go in in 24 hours. But if there's no evidence of foul play, which there wasn't in this case, the religious uh, officials take over and you have the, the customary burial. And it is the fact that they can't check his blood because there's no evidence of foul play, which carries the book because we don't know whether he was murdered or died or got sick or committed suicide right. for that reason. So the Jewish lack of autopsies amongst religious Jews plays a, a deep role in this. Absolutely. But Joel's insistence that there must have been some reason for his death, some other role that, that played a part, something played a part in his death. Does there need to be a point to everything? Uh, you know, um, it comes to us, that, that age-old discussion about enjoying the journey. Yes. 
do we need to enjoy the journey? Is it about the destination? Correct. It's it's that age old argument. So so she's she's been a fiction editor. So she's been burnishing plots her entire life. So she becomes obsessed that there must be a reason. There yes. must be a plot. And as the artist says to her in one discussion, well, why does there have to be a plot? Why does there have to be a pattern? Why do people not look at the Mona Lisa without saying, Jesus, right. if you take an x-ray machine and look under the paint, you'll find another drawing. And she was smiling because she was pregnant and perhaps she had cancer. And there's a, everybody wants to find a reason rather than right. just enjoying as is. And that's another sub-theme of the book. And that, that's the difference between story and plot. Yes, exactly. Stories are fine. Stories are fine. We try to find plots in our own lives. We live, we, we live, we, I mean, we're born, we live, we die. Some sort of a plot, but we really don't have a whole lot of control about the different chapters in our own lives. And so we are living examples of people who have a sort of a plot and very little control of how, it, how, how the journey goes. That's Joelle's. Entire issue And then she gets thrown a curveball Which we aren't going to give away Now obviously Um, Having lost her mother So early in her life Well not early in her life But when she really desperately needed her um, and her father never got over it And he lives quite a a morose existence Elsewhere So so I wanted to, to, to build into this entire story some sub-themes about grief. She is in a state of grief because she's lost her career and a sense of identity. But her father, who has lost his wife, her mother, many, many decades previously, is in a state of chronic grief and has been. And I wanted to track those two things together and how the grief is dealt with, both by her, having lost her job, and by her father. And there's a, there's a, a reveal about that grief um, towards the end of the book and can't spoil that one either. No, we're not going to spoil that one at all. So to wrap up. Yes. What, I mean, what do you think is more important? Do you want, do you want readers to take their own conclusions from the book? Is it more important to you that readers take their own conclusions from a book? Do you want them to understand the themes that you've built into a book? Do you set out to Obviously, you set out with your own ideas and your own themes that you're writing about, and you want to transmit those and convey those to your audience and to your readers. Okay, so so the answer to that question is, number one, I want people to buy my book. Yes, obviously, and that, no, that's what we Go buy the book, guys. It's really go good. Um, Num- number two, yes. I, I, I want uh, people to both laugh and cry, hopefully laugh more than cry. Uh, in their journey along this book, and I want them to be entertained, and I want them to be perhaps softly educated about some of the sub-themes that I spent quite a lot of time researching. Whether they want to draw any conclusions about the book and what I was trying to say as a writer of a book, I must leave that to them, and if they draw the same conclusions as me, I've been successful. If not, then I've been a failure in getting that message across. Well, I don't think you've been a failure at all. I think that I don't think we want readers to overthink. Reading is meant to be entertainment. Yes. That's what that's how I feel. Yes. And I think that this book is entertainment. It's entertaining and it's thought provoking. There are themes here that are conversation starters. Yes. But in equal measure it's entertaining. Yes. I set out for it to be entertaining rather than a, a dull read. It's a fast read. It is a fast read yes. and it's It's a cracker of a read. Thank you. And it's a great book. 
And I really do encourage people to go out and buy the book, read the book, and enjoy the book. And thank you, Boyki, for spending some time with me and chatting to me about your book. Thank you, and muzzle tough on your first performance. Thank you so much. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. Before the break, you were listening to my pre-recorded interview with Stephen Boyke Sidley about his latest book called Leaving Word, which is published via Jakarta and their imprint of Jakarta, um, MF Books, which is Melinda Ferguson Books, MF Books Joburg. I really do encourage you to go and buy the book. I know there seems to be an aversion to people buying books by local authors. I don't know why that is. People seem to have this imprint in their minds, this preconceived idea that South African authors only write about the Boer War and P.W. Boerta. They don't. As we said at the beginning of the interview, um, Boyke bases most of his books in the States, and he writes fiction, as you may have heard, and there are a lot of authors that actually write fiction. They don't only write about politics. They don't only write about cricket. So I do urge you to go and look at the bookshelves. I know that our bookshops tend to bunch our books together on their own shelves, saying South African authors, South African fiction, and... Shoppers, readers tend to bypass those shelves. Please take a few minutes to go and spend some time and go and look at those books. There are some really good ones out there. Speaking of which, okay, this isn't a fiction book. Lara Malich has just published a book about her cancer journey. It's called Losing My Hair. And it's about her journey and it's about her resilience, about how she coped about how she decided that every day she was going to wake up and fit this hurdle that she'd been challenged with into her everyday life, into her family, how she was going to keep her family going, keep her life going, and continue to be grateful for what had been thrown her way. It really is, if I may say, I mean, it sounds a bit bizarre, but it's a beautiful book. It is very authentic, it's very genuine, and it is spoken in her voice. It's also, there's a chapter written by her husband, who stood by her side, and it's about how she approached this challenge that was put in front of her. And obviously not in front of only her, but in front of all those who were close to her, who are close to her. And um, she obviously had her own unique approach to this. And with the help of Jenny Porteous, who specializes in body talk, TRE, and wellness, she overcame an incredible hurdle. It really is a beautiful book. And you can go to her website, www.laramalish.com, to find out where to buy the book. I really encourage you to go and read this. I know it's not everybody's cup of tea. Go and take a look and see what you think. It is available 
now. For those who are interested in the art and theatre, Gertrude Stein, known to many for her love of art, she was a writer, she was a poet at the turn of the century and um not the turn of the century, well, before, around the time of the Second World War, Gertrude Stein and a Companion is the most beautiful play, it's the most beautiful production that is currently on stage at the Auto and General Theatre on the Square. It is on stage until the 16th of November, and it is really a poignant production and a poignant portrayal of Gertrude Stein's friendship with Alice B. Toklas. Um, it's on stage, it's a two-hander with Shirley Johnston and Anita Crawford. And the title is actually taken, the writer Wynne Wells took the name from Ernest um, Hemingway's rather disdainful attitude towards Gertrude's companion, Alice. He wouldn't actually refer to her by name. He only referred to her as Gertrude's companion. So he named the play Gertrude Stein and Companion, and a Companion. And it really is a beautiful play. It's not long. It is, I think, just over an hour or so. And they were front runners of their time. They were two rather odd Jewish ladies who were living in France. And they were... Very strong. They were strange, but they were go-getters. They lived life the way they wanted to live life. And they decided, well, Alice decided, she took matters into her own hands. If you want a book published, go and do it yourself. If you want something done, go out there and do it. And that is the way to live life. If you want to do something, go out there. And do it. Don't rely on someone else to do it for you. You need to do it yourself. We'll be back after this break. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz. Here's one for you. I would love to know your views on Ronnie Castrols. Interesting guy. We know he's not really a friend to our community that he's just written a memoir it's called Catching Tadpoles how would you feel if we got him on the show and interviewed him about his memoir let me know email me on books at chaifm.com keep it clean and let me know how you would feel if we got him on the show and chatted to him about the book that he's just written. Again, we chatted earlier about Silke's Journey, the sequel to The Tattooist of Auschwitz, and about the fact that many people find books similar to that quite controversial in that they call themselves novels, And they are based on fact. And they're not actually true. As they call themselves novels, they aren't true. They're not nonfiction books. But people call them out on these issues. 
Like I said earlier, Silka or Cecilia, who was the actual character that she was based on, has a stepson who has distanced himself from the book and will have nothing to do with it. He did originally chat to Heather Morris, <clears throat> excuse me, and was going to be involved, but decided against it when he found that the description of her life seemed inappropriate to him and was not as he had known her. How do you feel about issues like that? I really would, would love to hear from you and your engagement on topics like this. Again, our book club, you are the people of the book. This is not about me sitting here talking. This is about books. It's about reading. And I know reading is quite a solitary, solitary engagement. It's quite a solitary thing where you, you it's just you sitting, reading your book, and you don't want to talk about it. Please, please let me know what you're reading. Please engage with us. Email me, books at highfm.com. You can catch a repeat of the show between 12 and 1 on Sunday. And until then, let me know what you're reading. Have a great week.